Welcome to Arbor Bridge Church's weekly podcast with your teacher, Daryl Canty. Arbor Bridge Church exists to bridge the gospel and our community by connecting people to Jesus and each other. Visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com. Pastor at Arbor Bridge, um, thanks to those of you guys who are, who are joining us in person and those of you who are joining us online. I'm glad to have the opportunity to, uh, to share, share this Lord's Day with you. Um, if you're joining us on YouTube, we'd love for you to subscribe to our channel by, um, by clicking the subscribe button under the, under the video. Um, <clears throat> and then if you're a guest with us today, um, we're, we're glad you joined us. Um, if you're a guest joining us online, we'd love for you to go to the, our website and at the bottom of any, uh, any of the pages of our website, um, there's a place where you can let us know where you thought of the service. You can reach out to us. And then if you're a guest with us here in person, um, you, can, uh, you can go ahead and fill out one of the guest cards, the connect cards that are actually in one of the chairs in front of you. We'd love just to have a way to, uh, to get to know you better and connect you better with our church family. So um, uh, as we begin our service, so I want to introduce you to my friend Elise. Elise will be helping out with uh, Johannes today. Um, thank you. Thank you for you guys using your talents to uh, glorify the Lord. Um, uh, <clears throat> As we begin um, our worship service, um, I'll, I'll have a couple thoughts I want to share um, to start off um, introducing one of the songs. Um, and then uh, after the second song, I'll come up and I'll have another thought I want to share with you guys. Um, as we as we go through the service, but um, the one thing I want to remind us of as as we begin um, singing together is that uh, we have a very real enemy um, who wants to draw us away from the Father. Uh, the devil wants to tempt us to uh, with all kinds of with all kinds of ways to things to to lure us away from God. Um, he he wants to use what we want most and use that thing to come between us and God. But when the thing that we want most is the Lord, um, we neutralize him. We neutralize the devil. If, if, if we want to be liked most or we want human companionship or power or money or success or admiration, when we want those things most, then, then we're vulnerable to the devil. We're vulnerable to his lies. But when the Lord is our shepherd, we shall not want when the Lord is our shepherd, he gives us everything we need. Um, and this first song that Johannes and Elise are going to do uh, leads us through a prayer. Um, and that prayer kind of asks God to deliver us from wanting other things most and wanting him to be our shepherd. So let's, let's pray through this song together as we sing it. Nothing 
From a life of worldly passion Deliver me, oh When 
Just for, uh, just for a moment, I just want you to meditate on or think about how God has been good to you. Um, you sang it, but I want you to develop in your, in your mind. Like if, if you said, God, you've been so good to me, and he said to you, what do you mean by that? If he said to you, how, would you tell, tell me how I've been good to you? How would you respond to that question? How would you respond to that question? Meditate on that for just a Just a minute. In Psalm 31, the author David is in the midst of being disciplined by the Lord with some very difficult consequences. And he says this, he says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. In the midst of being disciplined by God, he says, you, you've been good to me. In Ephesians, an author, the author Paul writes about how humans, as humans, we all choose to live for ourselves and we sin against God. And in the middle of that, in the middle of rebelling against God, God says this, God says, he says this about God. God loves us deeply. He is full of mercy. So he gave us new life because of what Christ has done. He gave us life even when we were dead in sin. God's grace has saved you. You are good to me. You are good to me. When someone, uh, when someone's been asked that question, how's God been good to you? We've got all kinds of reasons. And so when God, someone's been that good to us, what's, what should our response to God be? And I think that the only way that we can respond to him, only way that we can respond to him is to build our life on him in everything around him, everything about him to build in that he is worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. He is the only response that is appropriate. And the only response that would make sense is for us to live for him. So let's, let's, sing, let's sing towards that. Show me who you are. 
every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Oh, we live for you.
quick reminder for those of you guys who are members of our church family, um, if you'd like to see her flourish and continue, I want to invite you to give online um, at arborbridgechurch.com forward slash give. If you feel more comfortable, you can, you can give through um, by mailing your, your check to 2500 South Main Street. Um, and if you're here with us in person, there's a white box out in the lobby that you can use to, uh, to invest in our church family. And then I wanted to bring up to you guys on that at the end of our message today, we're going to, we're going to participate in something that we call communion. And it's just a time in our worship service where we give some specific thought to the, to the life, the death and the resurrection of Christ. Um, everything I'm going to be saying today is leading up to that, leading up to that moment. It's, it's, we, you know, some might say it's like the center of what we do today. It's the best part of what we do today. We remember his, uh, we take communion together and remember his life and his death and resurrection. So if you're here with us in person, there are some communion elements in the lobby, uh, where you, when you walk through, um, love for you to get one of those and participate with us, uh, at the right time. Um, and then if you're at home, love for you to join along with us also um, to get a piece of bread, get some grape juice, or if you don't have grape juice, get some water. We want you to participate with us in the, in the communion. Um, it, it is a way to draw us together, it is a way to proclaim Christ's life and death and resurrection until he comes again. Uh, and I, I want us to, I'd love for us to do that together. Um, so there's a, there's a pastor named um, Paul David Tripp. Uh, who writes about um, how we all think we see ourselves accurately. We typically, you, 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 you think that you, you know who you are pretty well. We think that we assess ourselves uh, correctly, but then he, he goes on to say, we don't. Um, we suffer from what, what Tripp calls um, spiritual blindness. And spiritual blindness, um, uh, it, it allows sin into our lives. Um, he says, sin blinds us and keeps us from seeing ourselves with clarity. Um, sin is self-excusing, um, it's self-righteous, it rationalizes our wrongs, and allows, it allows I'll speak for myself and say, it allows me to, to feel all right with, you know, about things that God says are very wrong. Um, but that's not all. Even more dangerous, even more dangerous is our blindness to our blindness. Um, our blindness to our blindness, and like that, that, that we're blind, but we don't think we are. Um, it would be like a person who is physically blind, but going about her life acting like she wasn't. Like, you know, I don't need, I don't need the walking stick, or I don't, I don't need, like a, I don't need the, the dog to come with me. I don't need any of that. Um, I, I, I got this on my own. Or, or you know, she, she, she won't give up her driver's license. She wants to keep driving because she's sure, she's sure that she can see. She's sure, she's sure that she's fine. I mean, clearly, a blind person who won't recognize that they're blind is very, very dangerous. It's very dangerous. A really important part, and I feel like that's an understatement, but a really important part of following Jesus is recognizing that we're sinners, identifying ourselves as sinners, saying, I'm, I'm a sinner. Um, I, I, and I, I, don't, I would make the case that if we don't acknowledge that, you can't follow, you can't even follow Jesus. Um, Jesus, as a savior, doesn't make any sense if you're not a sinner. Or the cross doesn't make any sense if you're not a sinner. Um, the, following Jesus begins with me identifying myself as a sinner who is lost, who is blind, who is in, in, in real trouble. And if I don't think I'm lost, if I don't think I'm lost, when someone comes to give me directions, I'm like, what are you, I don't I don't need you. Or if, if I'm blind and someone comes along and grabs my arm, I'm like, get your hands off me. 
I got this. It is vital to our faith that we admit these things. Now, I, I tend to resist the idea of being identified with sin. Um, I, I know that I'm not perfect. I get that idea, and I sin occasionally, but I'm not identified with sin. Um, and and when, I, when I try to distance myself from my sin, um, from the wrongs that I do, um, I end up minimizing sin, um, I, I, and I end up rationalizing it uh, and becoming blind to it. So in order, in order, for, in order to know the truth about my identity, I can't start with me. I can't start with what I think about sin. I can't start with, with anything that, that starts with me. I have to start with Christ. I start with him. Um, and then he begins to deal with me about how, what my sin is really like. And I, been with, I begin with a question like this. Jesus, what do you say about me? Jesus, what do you say about me? What do you say about my sin? Um, and and would, you, would you cure cure my spiritual blindness? Um, and he can, tell me, um, he can tell me who I am. But if he told me, would I resist? Would I push back? If he said, hey, Daryl, this is who you are, would I be like, uh, and obviously I, I, I'd like to think that the answer to that question is no, no. If Jesus said to me, yeah, this is who you are, Daryl, I'd be like, Could I accept what he had to say? So before Jesus is arrested to be crucified, he's trying to help his disciples identify who they are. He's trying to help them with their spiritual blindness. He tells them this. He says, during this very night, all of you will reject me. And Peter spoke up. Even if all the others reject you, I never will. Truly I tell you, truly I tell you, I promise, truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples uh, said the same. Jesus is saying, hey, listen, guys, listen, guys, I need you to know what kind of people you are. I know what kind of people you think you are. I need you to know what kind of people you are. And he says, this very night, this very night, and I think that not only that, he says this, he says, truly I tell you, and when he says that, when he says that, it's like he's saying, he's saying something like, I promise you, um, this is true for sure. Like when Jesus says something, why doesn't he just, he, just, he could just say, hey, you know, you're going to betray me. But instead, he leads it off. He, he put in front. Truly, I tell you, I promise this is going to happen. When he says it like that, you know, they would be wise to be like, okay, well, <laughs> this is Jesus. And then he says, this is the kind of people you are. But they're so immersed, they're so immersed in their perception of who they are that they can't see what's real. It's so dangerous. So my friend Roy reminded me of this Chinese proverb. Maybe you've heard it before. If you want to know what water is, don't ask a fish. And what, what he means by that, or what, you know, what, it, what it means basically is that fish are so immersed in water that it, that it becomes invisible to them. It's a part of, you know, it's a part of their atmosphere. Um, and, and so when, when Roy shared that with me, it made me ask this question that disturbed me. 
is there any chance, is there, and maybe I, I, you, can, you can come along with me for this. Is there any chance that I could do that with sin? That I could become so blind to it that I, I could be immersed in it and not even know? Is there any chance of that? Is there any chance that, that, that that's happening now? And I'm not, I, I, you know, I wouldn't even notice it. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to Roman Christians um, in the first century who were confident of their own righteousness. He says this to them. He says, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one righteous, not even one. And this is really strong, strong language. And maybe, I don't know if we, you, you, I tend to miss it. Um, he, he, he repeats it for clarity because he knew people would say, well, I mean, there's got to be at least one righteous person. He says, no, no, no one righteous, not even one, not even one. And he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop there. He puts together several scriptures from the Old Testament. He, he, he packages them together. And then he says this, he says this. There's no one, there's no one who, there's no one who, do, who does good. Oh, I'm sorry, let me back up. There's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've altogether become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their, their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness and their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Um, so Paul has gone really, really far to, to, uh, to help people understand the power of sin. Um, these are all Old Testament scriptures that he, he packages together and, and and presents them to everyone. And when you read them in the Old Testament, the way that they're put, uh, you, you get the feeling that these aren't talking to me. These are talking to bad people or bad guys. If I showed you the verses that he packages together, they always feel like they're talking about someone else. He packages them all together in this context. And he says, I'm talking about you. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about you. He goes really, really far, and he says it in every way he can think of. He could have just, he could have just left at the beginning. You're like, okay, Paul, I get it. No, one, no one's righteous. But he, he says it in every way possible. Have you ever noticed, so those of you guys who've ever been on a flight before, and you get to, you're watching that in-flight video where they, they, they give you the, the song and the dance before the flight starts. Um, have you ever noticed this, like, when they get to the part where they talk about the, the smoke detector in the lavatory, they say something like this. They say, no person may touch, tamper, tamper with, disable, or destroy any smoke, de- any smoke detector in the, in, the, in the lavatory. Why is it necessary? Why is it necessary to say all those words? Just say, don't touch it, right? Just say, don't touch it. And that should be enough. But airline, airline companies, they know what Paul knows about us. He says, there's a way, if there's a way, somebody's going to look for a loophole where they get to mess with the, the, so they say, touch, tamper with, don't look at it, don't touch it, don't. don't. We want to make, we want to go far in telling you, don't do it. Don't do it. Paul does the same thing here. There's, there's force 
There's this force in us that's always looking for a loophole, always looking for a way to say something like, they're, they're, not, they're not talking to me. That doesn't apply to me. And Paul is thorough. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks after God. There's no one who's good. Not, not even one person, not even one person poisons on their lips. They're quick to shed blood. They don't understand peace. He goes on and on and on about, about this. He, you know, he said it already in the first sentence. No one is righteous, but he goes, let me tell you what I mean by that. Let me tell you what I mean by that. He wants us to understand this. You are spiritually blind and I'm trying to wake you up. I'm trying to let you see. You are immersed in the water. I'm trying to. Paul, Paul goes on um, to, to try to communicate that sin isn't just what you do. You're not a sinner because you sin. There's something else, something other in us. It's something alive in me. Um, it's a presence. It's a force. It's a power. Um, he says it like this. I, he, in, 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 another, in another part of Romans, he says this. He says, I would not have known what sin was. And we should just pause right there and just say this. That's just a great thing to admit right from the start to say, I'm not sure if I would have known what sin was. We all think we know. He admits, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced every kind of coveting. So clearly the Bible teaches that coveting is a sin. Um, it's, it's in the top sins, right? The top 10 sins, um, top, top commandments. So well, Paul what that means here is that, is that Paul introduces us to a kind of sin that produces sin. He says, sin produced in me every kind of coveting. There's a sin that produces another kind of sin. He says, sin produces sin. And so he, he, he personifies sin. and says, sin produces things. It seizes opportunities. Sin, the sin that Paul's talking about is something more than what we do. It's a force, it's a presence, it's an identity. Uh, here, here are some of the other things that Paul says about sin in his letter to the Romans. He said, sin is a master. Sin is a ruler. Um, sin has the, the ability to reign. Um, sin springs to life. Paul ends Romans um, chapter 6 by contrasting uh, being God's slave with being the devil's slave, right? Like if you're, saying, if you're going to say, either be God's slave or you can be the devil's slave. And that would make sense. He doesn't say that. He says, you can be God's slave, or you can be a slave to sin. Sin is a kind of master, a personified master in Paul's mind. And what Paul is saying here is more than, is more than like, you know, we, all, we would all admit that we're sinners. You know, we, we all admit that we mess up. We all admit, you know, I do things wrong occasionally. But what Paul's saying here is more than that. It's more than you know, I slip up sometimes. It's that there's something wrong in my heart. There's something wrong in my heart. And, and the way that you know that Paul thinks that, that what's wrong is a, is a very, very big deal is his, his solution to the problem. It's his solution to the problem. I'm going to tell you about that in just a second. So think about this. If I bought a house, if I bought a house 
And I was, I was telling you about it. And I said, hey, I bought this house and it's got some mold. It's got some problems. And you asked me, what are you going to do about it, Daryl? What are you going to do, do about your new house you got? And I, and I said this, I'm going to tear it down. You would know because of the solution that I'm giving, you would know that that must be a serious problem, right? Or at least I think it's a serious problem. You would know by my solution that the problem, that I think the problem is serious. Paul says there's a part of you that's identified with sin, and here's the solution to it. Here's the solution to it. Kill it. Kill it. Crucify it. Don't, don't get control of it. Don't, don't work on it. Don't lock it up. Kill it. Kill it. This is, for we know that our old self was crucified, killed with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Kill it. Kill it. Sin can't rule over me if it's dead. Kill it. If, if you're sure... If you're sure that you've got sin in your life, it's no big deal, I invite you to read this. I can imagine, I can imagine slaves in this country 200 years ago thinking about, you know, when I'm dead, my master won't be able to rule over me anymore. What if there is something that serious? What if there's something that serious, that dangerous living in me? Something, something that can hurt people and something that, that I'm, I'm, in, I'm typically blind to. That's got to be killed. That's got to be killed. That's got to be killed. So um, in 2009, um, a 200-pound pet chimpanzee nearly killed a friend of its owner. Um, Sandra, Sandra Harold was the owner of, of the chimp. She cared for him from like, Raised him like, like almost like one of her children. She raised him like she was one, you know. And again, if any of us had met her or saw her or knew her from afar, we'd be like, that's dangerous. That's dangerous. But she was blind. She was blind to the danger of having a 200-pound wild animal living with her, living among her. So one day the chimpanzee was acting differently, and it attacked a friend of the owner, leaving that person in critical condition. She nearly died. She had most of her face ripped off. Um, just awful. Awful is an understatement. So the police, the police show up in the middle of the attack while, while this, her pet that she raised from... When the police show up and they, they, they find this... Uh, this animal attacking her friend. Sandra Harrell, the owner, yelled out to the police when they arrived. Do you know what she yelled out to them? Kill it. Kill him. Kill him. And here's why. She knew what was at stake. She, get, she, she, she understood what was at stake. If they didn't kill him, that 
animal may have killed her friend. She knew it was at stake. So the question that Paul wants to ask me is this. He says, Daryl, do you understand what's at stake here? Do you understand what's at stake? Do you have any idea how dangerous your sins are that you act like our pets and they're no big deal? You let them hang around your friends and family like it's no. Do you understand how blind you are to your sin and how much it is a part of you? Do you get that? Do you understand that? It's not enough for it to be put in a cage. It's not enough for them to, to call and try to wrap their arms around them and pull them off. It, it, that, that's not enough. You got to kill it. It has to be killed. And if you do not, people will be hurt by your sin, I guarantee it. It's got to be crucified and put to death. Put to death. Let me tell you how. Let me tell you how. Because here's the thing. Again, the most dangerous part. You You and I are blind to the thing we have to kill. That's like the scariest thing, right? Like in all the scary movies, the most scariest part is the dark, right? You walk into, they're walking, in, they're walking into the forest or they're walking into the dark area. And you're like, the thing is going to kill you. You're not going to be able to see it. That, that is the thing. The thing that we're blind to. How do, we, how do you become unblind to something that you're blind to? How, when you're so immersed like a fish in water. How do you realize, how do you get out of the fishbowl to see the bigger picture? Here's how it begins. Here's how it begins. We begin with scripture, we begin with the word um, as a basis for how we decide what sin is. We never do this, you know, right? We begin with the word for a, with a, as a basis to decide what sin is. Paul says, Paul says, I wouldn't have even known, I wouldn't have even known what sin was except by scripture. Would you be willing to admit that? Would you be willing to say, you know what, I don't, I'm not even sure I could discern what sin is and what sin is not. Jesus says this, when Jesus was on earth, he says this. He says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. The word sanctify here means set apart, detach us from sin, like, 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 like a sword. Like you and sin are one, he wants to. If we don't read the word, we'll be trapped and enslaved by sin. You'll be blind to something. You will be blind to something, I promise you. I promise you. I promise you. We don't, we don't, begin, we don't begin with ourselves. We begin with him. And when we don't begin with God and his word for our identities, we will allow sin to stay in our life and we, we won't even know it's there. We won't even know. Depend on scripture. Depend on the word. Second, depend on the spirit. Depend on the spirit. So just before Jesus was about to die, he says this. He says this. He says, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will guide you into all the truth. You and I can't see sin, but the spirit can. You and I can't see our sins, but the spirit will lead us into what's truth about who we are. And it goes goes kind of like this. If you're willing, if you're willing, it goes kind of like this. You're about to make a terrible decision. The spirit says this. You know what I'm saying? Like you're about to do it. You're about to lean into it. You're like, mm, and you're making all the excuses that you always make. Or you're saying, this, these are the reasons why this is okay. And the spirit does a little bit of, <clears throat> and it's quiet like that. And obviously anyone going, <clears throat> you can make them shut up. You can say, shut up, get up. And the spirit will say, okay, okay. You can make it so you can hear the spirit less. And as, as time goes on, you hear it less and less. But it doesn't make, it doesn't make, it doesn't make what he said, he's saying to you less true though. 
It doesn't make you any less blind to, uh, to what's going on. So if you're feeling those nudges in a direction, pause, investigate. The way you, find, you, the way you learn to listen to the Spirit better is you pause and you investigate. Is this something I should be paying attention to? Is this something I should be paying attention to? Third, uh, and again, we depend on each other. The word, the spirit, and each other. Let me say this about, just about this idea. None of us like to be told what to do. And none of us like to be, no, none, of, none of us want anyone to bring up to us, hey, um, what you're doing might be sin. Uh, you, you, you just imagine that in your mind. Like if someone, you know, someone, one of your friends brings up to you, hey, what you're doing might be sin. You're going to be like, shut up. Get out of my face. Are there any people in your life who love you and take Christ seriously, who take the Bible seriously, who take the spirit seriously? If, if you have anybody in your life like that, why would you, why would you ignore them? If, if they came to you and tried to offer you guys and say, I love you, let me, let me just offer this thought. Why would you ignore that? Why would you ignore that? Especially knowing now that you tend, me and you, we tend to be blind to... Isn't it, isn't it amazing that we can often see in what's, going, what's happening in others' hearts that we can't see in our own? Listen to this. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. We've already said that there are sins in our lives that we just can't see. Um, we just need each other. To, to gently and lovingly guide each other to, toward the light, toward the light. Um, I often, I'm often, in, you know, this happens to all of us often, you know, there's, when you're with a friend that you kind of, you don't know super well, and maybe they're eating and they've got something on their mouth, you have that moment, right, where you're like, should I say, and it's awkward, you're like, but if, I mean, and if we're honest, sometimes you say, I'm not going to bring that up. I'm just, I'm going to let it, they'll, they'll see it later or. Let me invite you into this again. If, if you love me, I love you. If I'm sinning, I probably at some point in our relationship is going to need your help knowing Don't let me walk around with food on my face. For we depend on Christ. We depend on Christ. All this is not possible without Christ, right? Listen to this. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us that, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Listen, listen to the weirdness of, of what, what, how this verse plays out. Listen to it again. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So again, when I, when, if I wrote this verse, I would say God made him who had no sin to fix sin for us or to correct sin for us or to, you know, to, to kind of take care of sin for us. But this is say that. It doesn't say that. This is, and this is, again, is another idea or another reason why you shouldn't, we should never say, well, sin is just the things that you do or the bad things you do. If it's just bad things you do, 
Then Jesus can say, okay, I'm just going to fix that. But it doesn't say fix. He says, God made him who had no sin to be sin. He did that so that you could become something other than that. That's something that sounds serious. That's not something something that I can't fix by myself. So God made Christ to be sin for us so that we could become something better. We depend on Christ. We depend on Christ to save us. So a really important part of following Jesus is beginning with an identification with ourselves as sinners. I am a sinner. Not, oops, I make mistakes. Not, oh, I sometimes don't do it right. Like, mm, I'm not perfect like everybody else. It's nothing like that. It's nothing like that. It is not even close to that. It's something far more devastating and deeply ingrained. It is far more problematic. Far more problematic. And so maybe you're feeling like, you know what, Daryl, this is like a really whack sermon. You're telling me what a sinner I am. I'm feeling bad. It's just I'm an awful person. Um, thank you for that. Why, why do we even talk to why, why, why should we talk about this? Why should we talk about this? Here's why. Here's why. Here's why. If I understand myself as a nice guy who makes mistakes sometimes, I will never love Jesus like I should. I will never love Jesus. If I think of myself like as a guy who's like, you know, he, I'm pretty nice and I do a little bit, you know, a little bit, I'm not, but I'm not too bad. If I think of myself that way, then I will never, ever love Jesus like I should. Jesus tells a story of two people who own a certain money lender. One person owes, owes a lot, he, so let's say 100000 and the other person owes $10. Neither had the ability to pay, so the money lender goes back and forgives both debts. And then Jesus, so Jesus tells this story, and then he asks this question. He says, okay, which of them will love the money lender more? And one of Jesus' followers responds and says, the one who had the bigger debt. And Jesus says, that's right. That's right. And then he says this. He says this. Brilliant. Brilliant. He says this. Whoever has been forgiven little loves little. But whoever has been forgiven much loves much. So if I'm walking around thinking, well, you know, I'm pretty... I'm pretty together, I'm pretty nice, then you're going to love little. But if I know how devastating my sin has been, then I'm going to love much because then I know Jesus had to do something big to fix this. He had to do something really, really big. That is what I'm inviting you into. And again, scary, it's hard, it's terrible to be brought in to see something you don't want to see. But if you and me, we understand, if, if we can understand how much we've for, been forgiven, then we'll love much. And I think that's good, right? That's worth it. That's what I want. That's what we want. We want to love Jesus much. So let's take communion together, right? During this time of communion, I want you to ask the Father, so then it gets super scary. Often I'm praying and I'm saying, I don't know if I want to pray this. Super scary. Super scary. So again, I, I'm, I, if you need to build up to it, I, I get it. But I'm, I'm begging you to pray this. I want, I want you to ask the Father to show you 
how identified with sin you were, you are, ask to be shown how much you've been forgiven. Ask to be shown how much you've been forgiven. And again, I, I, I'll, I'll totally admit that's scary. I totally admit that's scary. I don't, I'm afraid I'll have to see things I don't want to see. But I'll tell you this. If you think that you have not been forgiven much, you might be blind. You might be a fish immersed in water. And there's so much about the water you can't see. Ask the Father to make clear the greatness of your sin. And when you understand that, you will love him more. So I'm going to have us pray a prayer together. Um, it's a prayer kind of confession uh, that's going to be on the screen. Um, so your parts are going to be in yellow. So I'd love to do this together. So I'll, I'll read the first part. We can read the yellow part together. I'll read the white. And then there's another slide where you get to do another section of yellow. I'll do the white. You do the yellow. Before God, with the people of God, I confess to turning away from God. In the ways I wound my life, the lives of others, and the life of the world. May the Creator forgive you, the Christ renew you, and the Spirit enable you to grow in love. Amen. Next slide. Before God, with the people of God, I confess to turning away from God in the ways I wound my life, the lives of others, and the life of the world. May the Creator forgive you, the Christ renew you, and the Spirit enable you to grow in love. Amen. Amen. Take it away. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information on our church, visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com.